this morning here this Sunday I'm gonna I'm gonna read from uh, Romans the 12th chapter and we can start in verse 1 and it says this I, I beseech you therefore brethren that's all of us in Christ by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which really is your reasonable service and in doing so, you will not be conformed to this world, but you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove to yourselves as God proves to you what is really and truly good. And you will find that you're, you're accepted. It's, it's, it's acceptable. This is who you are in Christ in Ephesians 1.6. And complete. It will be the complete will of God for you. For I say, through the grace given, and the only way, of course, that Paul, who would be the messenger of Jesus Christ, could say that, was he could say it first for himself, because there was grace given to him first, and that he could be a vessel that God could pour that grace through that belonged to those that were his. So I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And I read that this morning. We, we see the reason that we need to constantly as we grow, and, and we need to remember this too, as we grow and while we're in training, the patience of God's love Sometimes things can get long. They can seem long. And those are the times when the enemy just wants to wear us out and make us just settle for less. And the way that we do settle for less is experientially we just settle in the world and just live like the unsaved do. And that's when the enemy comes in. And in Daniel 7 verse 25, he speaks great words against the Most High, and against who, against the Most High of who He is in us. And that's what it's saying here, not to think of self more highly. And highly here, when we look at this, this goes into 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. This is what we constantly need to be reminded of, that the weapons of our warfare, this spiritual warfare that we're, we're in, born in the midst of this conflict in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, is not carnal, doesn't have anything to do with us and our own will not submitted to Christ. That's why it says that. Weapons of our warfare in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of these strongholds, areas where we're held by the enemy in our experience. And that's why it says casting down imaginations. And then it says this, every high thing, and every high thing there is the wicked spiritual atmosphere of Satan's army that comes against us constantly. It constantly is coming against us. So, and that's what it says, casting down every high thing, and notice this, that comes against the knowledge of God. Now, who is the knowledge of God to us? It's Christ. He is the fullness and completeness of God's love for you and I. And that's where every high thing comes against 
the knowledge of God in us. Now we have, as we've been taught uh, by, by God the Holy Spirit, in Romans 8, 9, that we, the flesh is in us, but we're not of it, but we can function in it. And this is what it says here in Romans 12 and verse 3. Not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly according to God. So the enemy is constantly trying to bring us into the self-life as opposed to God. <laughs> constantly. So it's this constant battle between the self-life, the flesh that's in us that we're not of, and Christ. There's with the enemy because it takes time. It takes God patience and time for growth for us. That's why love in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, verse 4 is an enduring grace. It endures. It suffers long. It's patient. It's kind. And it takes time for us to grow. It takes time for God to separate us from ways that we lived in the self-life, whether ignorantly or rebelliously. And it takes time for him to separate those things. And that's what Hebrews 4 and verse 12 is teaching us, to separate self-conscious living, which is in competition with God-conscious living. And so we're not to think more highly than we ought to, but to think soberly. And notice what it says, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith, meaning he has given us the fullness of Christ for us to depend upon. And every stage of our growth in 1 John 2, 12 and 14, whether we're babes, young men or women, or spiritual dads and moms. It takes time. It takes growth. But he's given us that measure of faith. And when that measure of faith is experienced, then we go to the next measure of faith. But until that measure is dealt with, then he still, ha he still has to go back and continue to train us in that way. And unfortunately, that can be a lifetime for many. And that's what, what Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 to 15 is bringing out. There's a time when in all of our lives, we ought to be teachers, meaning to express and explain to others Christ in us and who, who he is in them. But we need to be retaught those things again constantly. We need to go back to them. Now, in that sense, this is a renewing of our mind. We need to be renewed. And that's why we come together to hear the word. But notice, it's God has dealt to us that measure to every one of us in Christ. But we're to think soberly. To think soberly. Now, this is what that word soberly in the Greek is. It's from the Greek word ice, and it's E-I-S. We pronounce it like our word ice, I-C-E, but this is E-I-S, and it's a primary preposition, and it means to, to, and into. Now, what that means is this. In Romans 1, 17, and in Habakkuk 2, verse 4, which the Holy Spirit has Paul quoting in Romans 1, 17, but he's bringing out the fullness of Habakkuk 2 and verse 4. They go from faith dependence to where that dependence has to be worked in again in a new area faith then once we do that then we begin to function in or into who we are in christ and this is what that word means soberly and but it also speaks of place what is our proper place it's our proper place is our position we are positioned in christ 
And God is making that to become a present reality in our experience. So it's of place. What place should he not have now that he's won us? In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. So it speaks of place. And when Christ isn't our place experientially, then that's the area the enemy has a place to make us function in self. Literally, the self-life that's against who that reality of who I am in Christ. There's this eternal battle going on when we get into those things. That's what makes the word so necessary to separate those two. Self-conscious living in Hebrews 4.12 and God-conscious living. So that has to do with place. And then it has to do with time. And that is, again, thinking soberly is just continually redeeming the time in Ephesians 5 and verse 16. Because if I'm not redeemed, he doesn't redeem me experientially, then what is it? Because the days that we are living in are poneros. And poneros there in Ephesians 5 and verse 16 is the evil. It's infectious evil. Many times we've been taught that kakos in evil, kakos, K-A-K-O-S, is the intrinsic evil that Satan, when he, before he was Lucifer, fell into and became Satan. Again, God never created Satan. He created Lucifer with a free will, and with his free will, he chose to submit to evil. He became the author of it. And that is Ezekiel 28 and verse 15, where it says that. So, again, here, it's this, this time. So when I don't submit to the light of the word or when I don't have it, then all I do is function in the self-life, whether ignorantly or rebelliously or stubbornly in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 23. And then I can only function in. You see, Satan was never satisfied. He never was satisfied with just being evil himself. When you read Ezekiel 28, 15, right down to 19 and 20, you will see that even, even in this heavenly conflict, he wasn't satisfied with just being evil himself. He went around to all the other angels. He took a third of them. That's Revelations 12 and verse 3, where the dragon's tail took a third of the stars of heaven. <laughs> all those uh, created beings that were reflecting the glory of God. He took it. So he wasn't just satisfied. Now with us, if he can't keep us deceived like he keeps the whole world in Revelations 12 and verse 9, if he can't keep us from being deceived, then, then he will accuse us. But he keeps us deceived and the way that he does that is living in the self-life. Apart from thinking with Christ, who is, who is the, mi the mind of Christ, is the complete mind of God in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. So that has to do with time. That's Ephesians 5, 16. The days that we are living in are poneros, infectious evil, in active opposition to God's divine will, fulfilled will in us in Christ and us in him. He, he wants to come in and separate experientially because again in 1 John 5 18 b he can't touch the position and as we've been taught sin can't even do that sin can't do it so it has this word soberly this word ice has to do with time and then figuratively it has to do with purpose and we see God's purpose in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 
right to verse 23 in that chapter. We see his purpose. His purpose through Jesus Christ, his son, was to glorify himself. And then Christ being in us, in Colossians 1 and verse 27, we would glory in him and be completely blessed and function in his love. So there's that sobriety. That's what it's talking about. Then it means unto and for. It means toward. Uh, toward. So in other words, when I function in Christ, in who I am in Christ experientially through submission and obedience, then, then Christ, then Christ in me, when I submit to him in James 4, 7, Christ in me resists the devil from causing me through either ignorance or a rebellion or stubbornness to live in the self-life as opposed to who I am truly in Christ. You see, it's this inner battle that we have. That's what most, that's what causes most Christians to withdraw from a place where God has caused them to be because they have an inner battle. They have this inner warfare that is going on on the inside. And that's the enemy that comes against them. But when we function in Christ, Christ in us is against the flesh. And literally, even in the areas where we functioned in the flesh, the light comes in and we take God's side against that area of our flesh because it's not who we are. We take his side against us. That's what it means to confess. That's what it means. We take God's side against that area that we no longer of and that he paid for. And it keeps us functioning in the light in 1 John 1, 7. And it's necessary that when we fail in 1 John 1, 9, we confess. And what are we confessing? And that confession does have to do in 2 Corinthians 7, 10 with a godly sorrow. But there's never any regret in that. And boy, do I want to finish that thought that I had that I was discussing with Barbara. And God gave me a really, because I was still working through on that. This is just a little sidebar now from, from the message, but uh, from what God is saying. But boy, I got some really tremendous thoughts on that. And uh, we can maybe share it after. But again, here, we're talking about being sober. And it means when I function in Christ, I take my proper side with God through Christ against the self-life that Satan caused me to operate in when I submitted my will to him and not Christ. Isn't that awesome? And there's no condemnation in that in Romans 8 and verse 1. Absolutely no condemnation. So we have that word here, and it literally means there that it means there's an abundance in this too. There's an abundance of thinking soberly with Christ. Tremendous abundance. And it's exceeding, and it's continual, and it's far more exceeding. And it's for the intent of purpose that we all, when I function right with God in my own individuality, then we all have one mind and a local assembly. Isn't that awesome to be able to have that at this day and age? At this day and age that we are living in. And but again, this is only used with verbs, and I want us to understand this, this word sober. It's only used with verbs that express motion. There's no such thing as neutrality in our experiential growth. We're either going forward, that speaks of motion, or we're going backward, we're backsliding, and that speaks of motion. And that's what makes it so necessary for us 
to have this this sober mind, this mind that is called sophroneo from sophron, and it means to be safe. The only time we're safe is when we have the mind of Christ and we submit to it. Then we're safe and we're sound in mind. And that's what 2 Timothy 1.7 brings out. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, Christ the power in 1 Peter 1.5 and 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24, Christ. The power of God and what? The wisdom of God. So God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. And it says love. Notice that we need power. And power is there is when we come to a place where our mind begins, begins to be renewed by the power that Christ is, then I have the power to function in love. Then I have a well-disciplined, well-sound mind. And that's what that is, these words here, and what is being brought out here. Safe and sound in our mind, in our thought life, and in our thinking, and then self comes under the control of God the Holy Spirit, and not the spirit of fear. Not the spirit of the enemy. And that's why we need to try the spirits in 1 John 4, 1. Try the spirits, whether they be of God or not, because there are many spirits that are gone out there. There's only one spirit that takes the things of Christ and teaches us. That's God the Holy Spirit. Any other spirit is going to be one where there's going to be fear, suspicion, irritation, and all of these things that come in. So we can function in a self-life that's under the control of God, the Holy Spirit. Then I have a sound mind with self-controlled, not by my own will, never could do that, but by the very will of Christ in me, who fulfilled all the will of God in John 4 and verse 34. So then I'm sober. I begin to be sober. And that was that is what even, even Ephesians 5 and verse 18 is bringing out. Be not drunk with wine. In other words, don't be drunk on the atmosphere. Don't get drunk on the atmosphere and function under it. Like a man that's staggering and doesn't even know where he's going. That's what that brings out. And we can see that very clearly in the scriptures. We see it very, very clearly in the scriptures. What is it teaching us this morning as we begin to close here this morning? What is it teaching us? And then we can get into these other things at a different time. This is what it's bringing out to us. That there is no sobriety without love. It's making it crystal clear. There's no proper thinking without God's love. There's only senseless pretending and role-playing. Notice that. I'm going to read the rest of this. To think soberly, we said. Verse 4 of Romans 12. For as we have many members... Many members in one body and all members have not the same office or function, by the way. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace given to us. This brings out 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. We only have gifts and we know that we have a gift, a specific gift because it works in us with the supernatural ability that God gives us through Christ with that gift. That's why certain others are to function in their place and not try to have and function in a gift that they have no business and was never given them. 
And that keeps a lot of sober thinking out, by the way. The enemy will use that. You can be sure of it. And just cause Christians to settle and be satisfied with just enough. Well, having gifts differing according to the grace given to us, whether a prophecy is preaching and teaching, let us prophesy and preach and teach according to that proportion of faith. Or ministry, ministering. Let us wait on our ministering or he that teaches on teaching. Or he that exhorts, and we should do that. Loved ones, we should exhort them, edify them, and be transparent and have an honest, open relationship with them based upon, a, and, and listen, a proper relationship with Christ has to do with proper fellowship. And if there's not a proper relationship, if a believer's not experientially properly relating to Christ in his own or her own life, is there fellowship? Then why would we come together? Well, here it is again. He that exhorts on, on, on exhortation. And that's not judging, by the way. You're not judging someone that you know that lives in sin. But you are in, in love exhorting them. You are in love. An exhortation. He that gives, let him do it with simplicity. It's beautiful. He that gives, let him do it with simplicity. And then it says this, he that rules. And we know rule here simply means in Hebrews 13, 17, God has given, given men of God and they are men. Mark it down. They're males, never females, ever one time. In Jeremiah 3 and verse 15 and Ephesians 4, 11, it's called masculine singular. In any realm of life, in the Christian life, never. It's never opposite. It's always that way for protection of both. <laughs> and both functioning in their place, man and woman, both not only protect themselves, but protect each other. It's beautiful the way it works. Now, again, here it says, he that rules. Rules, there's really guide. We have these guides that God's given us, and as the word comes through them, we are to submit ourselves to those guides that God give us. So that's what it means, rule. We guide others. The pastor teacher guides himself. He better be guided himself. And then he guides others to the one who has the true authoritative rule of the love of God. And that's Jesus Christ and him alone. Again, the pastor doesn't do the ruling. It's Christ. <laughs> He's the authority. He's the covering. He's the one. Of course it is. Love covers. And I can function in the love of Christ. I can in Proverbs 10 and verse 12, and I should in 1 Peter 4 and verse 8. Love covers, but who is love? God is love. And that means when I submit to him, he flows in and through my experience to others. Now it says this, because this it says, he that rules well with diligence. We'll get into these other words at a different time. I think I want to finish this uh, tomorrow morning, just because there's, there's so much that's in it with diligence. He that shows mercy with cheerfulness. Again, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God loves a cheerful giver. You know what our English word is that? Hilarious. You are so overwhelmed with God that you know you can't outgive him. And that's just, that's ourself first in everything. You, you just can't outgive God. Your, yourself, your time, whatever it is that he through grace and through peace, and through conviction, leads us to do so. Then it says, because let love, 
who God is, be without dissimulation, be without pretending. This is where our English word is hypocrite. Let's not be a hypocrite. 1 John 3.18, love not in word or in tongue. The easiest thing to do is say, hey, I love you. Good to see you. I love you. No, love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Indeed, and in truth. This is what this is teaching. Without the stimulation. Then abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Philippians 2 and verse 21. Preferring one another in honor. The honor of who Christ is in them as, and, and in them as the vessel of Christ in Ephesians 5, 21. We don't just submit to the pastor. <laughs> we all submit to Christ and one another. And it's beautiful. Then each joint flows the way it should in Ephesians 4 and verse 16. Then not slothful in business. As far as Christian business, when is, it, when is business in the Christian become secular and not sacred? <laughs> Meaning everything about our life, whatever we put our hand to, we do all to the glory of God. That's Colossians three seventeen to 23 and uh, Ecclesiastes 9. Uh, 10, and so forth, all through the scriptures. Whatever we put our hand to, we're led by him. That's what business is here. There's no separation from the two. And it's beautiful the way it's brought out. Not slothful in business. See why? Fervent in spirit. Notice what it says? Serving, worshiping the Lord. God will even give me that business, even that business, whatever it is, a housewife, cleaning, that doesn't matter. That becomes an opportunity to worship him as I do what I do. And he'll use that when I'm rightly related to him to minister to others. And then to bless me. But not only temporally in terms of material gain, but eternity. When all material is done away with and we just take off what we had with Christ. And we can do that. Again, I'll close with this. There's no such thing as a sober mind, a a healthy mind without God's love. There's only a senseless, no sense pretending. And just a role playing. How you doing? Good, how you doing? Really? (laughs) Really? Role playing. There's a mindless wandering. Notice that. Boy, when our will isn't submitted... There's just a mindless wandering. Remember? Cain went out from the presence of God. He wandered in Genesis 4, 16 to 22. He wandered in the land of Nod. Wandering lusts. Trying to fulfill one lust after another. And those lusts that are in the flesh, in the self-life, are always in competition with who you and I are in Christ. And the enemy will use those things when we don't come, when we don't submit, when we're not getting counsel. When we're not getting counsel. And again, it's not the issue of, are they the only ones? The issue is, is that where God called you? (laughs) You see, that's the issue. That's the true issue. So there's only mindless wanderings into many destructive lusts. The enemy came what? To seek to what? To seek to what? Kill? What? And destroy. The enemy comes what? 
and John 10, 10. What does he do? What are the three things that he he does? To steal, to kill and destroy. Now, can he steal and destroy and take away my position in Christ? He can't. So what does he go after? The experience. That's what he goes after. And when I live in a selfish experience, I'll role play. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Good to see you. Yes, really? Not accusing, not condemning, not comparing, but let's just be transparent and honest. Let's just do that. There's only these destructive lusts. Now in Psalm 107 verse 20, he sent his word and he healed them and he delivered them from all their self-destructive patterns of lusts that the enemy wants them to function in. You'll see those patterns again. You see them fully how subtle the enemy is and do we think the subtlety is any less in the flesh genesis 3 1 to 6 second corinthians 11 and verse 3 those lusts the lusts of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life what keeps the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes functioning it's the pride of life it's pride it's just pride And what are those? Jesus taught what those were. And if we want to see what they are, then we turn to Matthew, the 15th chapter, and verses 16 to 20. And then we turn to Matthew 7, verse 14, all the way to verse 23. And then we see it again in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. All those lust patterns, as opposed to who we are in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. We see it very clearly. And we need to constantly submit ourselves in Romans 8, verse 13 and Colossians 3, 5 so that we don't function in those lust patterns. And listen, there's no two ways about it. If we're not going forward, we're not staying stationary, even if we haven't gone back to actually physically doing those lusts, they're a constant temptation to us. And ultimately, they will win. Sin wins over us every single time. It does. And that's what makes it necessary. The Word of God. And then we don't just play games. We don't end up blaming this person, that person, this circumstance, that circumstance. The truth of the reality is what leads a lot of Christians wandering from the place that God's called them. And this is true for all of us. I'm not thinking of anyone specifically. I'm speaking principles. It's those lust patterns that we just don't want to have dealt with anymore. The ease and comfort and settle down in this life, and that's it. All I want to do is go to heaven. (laughs) Live the way I want on the earth and go to heaven. Listen, this is where sin wins us every single time. In Romans 7, 18, it says this, For I know that in me, that is in the flesh, dwells what? No good thing. Who's the only one who's good? God. There's nothing good in the flesh. For to will, notice this, for to will is present with me. Listen, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Why? Because only God can do that. And Job 23 and verse 14, he performs the thing that he requires. But it doesn't, it's in my position, but doesn't enter my experience till I submit my will. In James 4, 6 through 10, and in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. How to perform it, I find not. Look it, for the good that I would, I don't do. 
<laughs> I don't do. But the evil which I don't want to do and would do, I do. Well, now if I do that, that I wouldn't do and I don't want to do, it is no more I that do it, but what? It's that sin manifesting itself through the flesh that dwells in me in Romans 8, 9, but that I'm not of. Those words in and of. What does he find? Then I find a law. That when I would do good, evil is present with me. Sin wins every time when my will isn't submitted. I may be thinking it, and I may be battling it, but if I don't get God's counsel to think soberly, that will win every single time. Then we end up like the dog, unfortunately, that dog, again, in... Where is it? Is my mind is wandering? Where is it? In Proverbs 26 and verse 11, the dog returns to the vomit. I vomited it out. I couldn't stand what it did to me. I hated what it did, not only to me, but to everyone else around me, how it had an effect. And then I go forward and I stop. What do you suppose we do? It's the only thing any of us could do. We go right back to it again. It's so important to think soberly with him. See, in Romans 7, 22, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. You see, that's the man about who we are in Christ. But there's a self-life in the flesh that's against the man. You end up fighting a war against who you are. No one else is to blame. Well, but I see another law in my members. This is Romans 8, verse 9. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to what? The law of sin, which is in my members. You know what it leads to? It's sad to have to see Christians to come to this place, but many have to. And at times we do in areas. To the place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness. And here it is. O wretched man that I am. This is a man in Christ who's functioning in the flesh. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? He's not saying who's going to help me while I live in this death. Who's, going to, who's not going to counsel me and make it all right while I live in this death? No. Who's going to deliver me? And he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself worship the whole law, the whole word of God, but with the flesh, what? The law of sin. The law of sin and death. So important for us to think soberly, all of us, each, each of us individually, in the place that we are in terms of our experiential growth, growth and the time that God has given me and how important time is so that I can function properly for God's glory first, then for my glory and blessing in Christ. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.